You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Jojo Rabbit. Here's Marshal Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today, you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, <laughs> ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. Abaddon comes to. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. Yeah! You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hey, Hitler, I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? look just like us. Hi. You know what I am? See? A Jew. Gesundheit. Sheesh, that was intense. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it! I've but negotiated. Go down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. If I tell on you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. You two seem to be getting on well. She doesn't seem like a bad person. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi. Jojo, you're a ten-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. God. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Jojo Rabbit, and the story is as follows. Set during World War II, an awkward young German boy whose only ally is his imaginary friend Hitler has his naive patriotism tested when he meets a young girl who upends his worldviews. The film is starring Roman Griffin Davis, Thomas and McKenzie, Taika Waititi, Rebel Wilson, Stephen Merchant, Alfie Allen, Sam Rockwell, and Scarlett Johansson. It is written and directed by Taika Watiti. And joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hello, everyone. Dan Baer. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. All right. All right. All right. All right. Get it? Yeah. That was Off we go. Listen, we're trying to we're trying to find humor here in the darkness, right? Uh, this is Jojo Rabbit, a film that premiered uh, this year at the Toronto International Film Festival, where it got uh, kind of a mixed reaction overall, but that proved to be, I guess, somewhat inaccurate because the film then went on to win the uh, TIFF Audience Award there, which is a very prestigious award to win. It's not just crowd-pleasing movies that do so. We see a wide array of films win that award. So the film is doing something right. And since then, reactions have been a lot more positive and kind. Although there is still a bit of trepidation with this film because at the end of the day, Taika Waititi is tackling World War II Nazis, uh, a subject that's very, very sensitive to a lot of people, and he's injecting his own brand of humor into things. What did we think about it ultimately? How do we feel about Taika Waititi? 
I pass it off first and foremost to the person that saw it first at its premiere at TIFF, Dan Bear. Hello. Well, I did not see it at its premiere. I was at the first press and industry screening, which was the day immediately after. I mean, it's like the same so thing-ish. almost <laughs> the premiere. It's the same-ish thing. I'll say it. If Taika Waititi was here or not, he'd be like, don't get caught up in the details. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I saw this and I was in love with it from probably the very first scene um not necessarily like the opening moments but the first scene where we really see uh young jojo and i it was my second or third uh favorite film that i saw at tiff by the end i think it's close to perfect um the mastery of tone that taika watiti has over this whole thing is insane the cast is off the charts amazing and it is hilarious and heartfelt and probably the best coming of age story i've seen in many many moons like better than call me by your name in ladybird coming of age or um yeah Wow. Okay, yeah. so I listen, I take you to test there because that was high praise. That's why I'm just, you know, I want to yeah. know. I want to know where this really ranks for you here. It, no, it really ranks and I think it's because like it really more so to me than um than some of those other ones like really represents a shift in the young protagonist's worldview that I think can initiate that same shift in people watching the film who are not the age of the protagonist. I, I am in complete agreement with you on this, Dan, because one thing that Taika Waititi's humor does do in this movie is it shows how absolutely absurd the worldview is. And I, I, I think that when you view it within that context... Um, I think the diminishing attitude or a diminishing stance that it takes against um, that worldview and belittling it to nothing but a joke, because that's what it is at the end of the day. It's an absolute joke. Some people will say, oh, well, you know, it's very serious and it should not be taken lightly, you know, but I, I do think that there is a way to do it. And I think he found a way here. I, mm -hmm. I, I really do believe that. And I'm glad that you saw it, too, because so, Dan, as the resident Jewish person here on yeah. the podcast review right now, um, you know, I think that your perspective definitely means a lot then in that case. Yeah, I mean, I and I get that there are a lot of Jews themselves who are going to potentially have a difficult time with the idea of laughing at Nazis. But I think this film goes down a more absurdist route than just, oh, oh, point and laugh sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in that way, it I think that's very smart to do because it works better than just having it be point and laugh at the stupid Nazis. There is an element of absurdism and that in turn helps us see the absurdity with people who may not be so dissimilar from Nazis in our current world. Right, right. Okay, uh, we'll expand a little bit more on uh, your initial thoughts here in a little bit. Uh, Nicole, what about you? Uh, overview, reaction to Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, so I saw it fairly recently um, at Film Fest 919. 
And I was absolutely blown away, like Dan, from the first few minutes. Honestly, after seeing this film, I 100% with all my heart believe that Taika Waititi is a genius. Um, I think that it takes someone with uh, the ability to, you know, have great nuance um, to be able to pull off a film like this. Because I can see where people were a little bit hesitant about it before, you know, seeing it. But I think that once you see it, it almost feels absurd to think that this film could have any message other than one, um, you know, that is an anti-hate, an anti-Nazi message. And I think that it really harkens back to kind of a tradition going back to Chaplin of this kind of um, mockery of Hitler in a way and kind of taking down people with this worldview by showing just how ridiculous they are. But also one of the things that I really appreciate in it is that I think that a lot of what the film does is it also acknowledges that there are people who can get caught up in a worldview because they're entrenched in it at a young age and are never given a chance to know anything different. And I think that the fact that it kind of comes at this issue from both sides of that is what makes it so powerful. And I laughed my head off and I cried like a baby and I truly came out of it. And if you had told me I could have gone straight back into the cinema and watched it again, I would have. Yeah, I, I, I echo that quality too, because this movie is not a downer. In my opinion, uh, there are some bleak moments, and I'm glad that the film doesn't shy away from that. Um, but it's not an overwhelmingly bleak film. It's an overwhelmingly light and cute film filled with a lot of heart. Uh, so what you're saying there, Nicole, in terms of wanting to revisit it, um, I have seen it twice. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I've seen it twice because I really, really badly wanted to see it a second time. Yeah, I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, it, it's a it's a movie that's fun to spend time with uh, precisely. And that sounds weird given the subject matter. But <laughs> it's precisely because it has Taika Waititi's brand of very, very clever and ingenious humor. It's interesting to watch an audience react to it um, as a result. And at the end of the day, it does have that nice mushy center at its core that, I mean, you know, it's a crowd pleaser. There's just no way around it. And, you know, who doesn't like a good crowd pleaser every now and then? Tom, what about you? Hi, everyone. I'm Tom, and I'm the skunk at the picnic. Ah, we have one. We have one. Okay, Tom, lend balance perspective here. Tell us what went wrong for you with Jojo Rabbit. It did well. It didn't go wrong. I, I liked it a lot. I'm not as over the moon about it as you guys seem to be, um, but I, I have to say, I mean, I certainly would give it thumbs up. Uh, it's um, it's certainly uh, it's bold and it really it's it's jet propelled right out of the gate. Uh, from the opening credits of the Beatles singing "I Want to Hold Your Hand" in German, to you know, to seeing the uh, archival footage of crowds screaming for Hitler that reminds you a lot of Beatlemania. It's an inspired choice. Love that opening, and it's a really good example of the kind of two levels that uh, YTD works on. And then the introduction of Hitler. It just, and and the whole the whole sequence in the um, Hitler Youth Camp is just is that is perfection. I really think this is that is it it, it raises the bar to a point where a lot of the film struggles to get back to it for my, for me at least. 
Um, I think that Scarlett Johansson is is really terrific in this. Uh, she's you know she's she's maternal, but you know deep down inside there's something else going on. And uh, as it's slowly revealed what's going on, um, she really uh, the layers of that character begin to be revealed, and it's terrific. Uh, it's just for me the shift of tones. Uh, is is sometimes hard for me to juggle. Uh, the the scenes in which uh, Jojo and Elsa talk for a long time, it gets talky uh, with the two of them. And it, it what what they are saying is very important. But the jet propelled nature of the beginning, and then the getting down to the character stuff, and then Hitler comes back, and then we're back to more Nazis, and it just, for me, it, I just needed to um, adapt to the shifting tone in it. And uh, it, the, the, let's say, the force of the narrative sometimes goes up and down a little bit. So I was kind of looking less as a commentary on Nazism and more as storytelling. Uh, and I think it's very, a very good, very smart movie that has some tonal shifts that I have some issues with. Nonetheless, so worthwhile, worth seeing. And um, I'm, I think that uh, hopefully the first weekend gross is such that uh, will encourage people to go out to see it. Yeah, I definitely think that people will definitely check this one out. Um, it's got some star power behind it for sure. It's gotten a bit of buzz. I think word of mouth will be strong on it as well, uh, as we said before, given the fact that it is a crowd pleaser. A lot of the negative reviews that I saw for the film kind of came from uh, the expectation that this movie was going to have more of an edge to it um, and a little bit more uh, bite, if you will. Mm -hmm. And... I, I think people were taken aback by how cute and warm of a movie it actually is as a result of that. Otherwise, I, I, I kind of, in terms of the tonal balance, you know, I, I understand if someone uh, doesn't feel that it works at all, all the time because um, I'll give a good example of this. There were times where Taika Waititi's Hitler, um, like I, I found myself laughing at some bits but then there were some bits that I really didn't think were like funny for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be funny for others, but um, and I'm not saying that in terms of like, oh, this is no laughing matter. I just mean the humor itself. I just didn't find it that funny. Yeah, you know. Yeah, in, in, in terms of people thinking, oh, Hitler is so goofy. Why is he? This is a Hitler who's in the is an imagine in the imagination of a ten year old boy. Right. And and Hitler is behaving in his own way like a ten year old boy. Because that's that's all that's within JoJo's uh, purview, right? And, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, and and he basically stands as a father replacement for his father, who is no longer with the family. Uh, so I mean, he's looking for some um, masculine parental guidance somewhere, and that's uh, that's my interpretation of where Hitler comes out of it, because it's almost a personification of what he really doesn't want to be. Interesting. Yeah, and I think that it that really goes along. I hadn't even really thought about it that much, but this idea of him kind of as this replacement father figure with the I you know, the film really revolves around these ideas of nationalism and fatherland, like the fatherland and Jojo's 
you know, being swept up in this weird patriotism that was happening in Germany at that time that, you know, Hitler tried to paint himself as the father of all good Germans. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that 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 to me is why that character is able to be funny is that it was a, you know, a 10 year old child's idea of what Hitler was. And even then, there are some scenes where, you know, I, I kind of went into it based on the trailer thinking that it was going to be a fairly one note performance from from Taika Waititi mm-hmm. as Hitler. You know, that all it was going to be was that kind of goofiness that we saw in the trailer. But there are some moments where it, it delves a little bit darker. And, the you know, I, I was impressed by the fact that he was able to kind of manage both of those at the same time and have that goofiness while also you know, there were moments where he was, I think, genuinely menacing. Yeah, he has that one yeah. moment where he has kind of like this prolonged rant and he really yeah. does channel yeah. the uh, Hitler mm-hmm. that many people have often imitated. And uh, I-, I know what you mean by that one part. I guess, like, for me, though, his performance never elevated uh, to a certain level um, because for me, I enjoy it. And I think it's entertaining, but I don't see it as anything more than an SNL uh, performance. I would disagree. (laughs) (laughs) But like, for example, though, compared to the work that, say, Sam Rockwell and Scarlett Johansson are doing in this, though, um, instead, you have to agree that like as as far as the adult performers go, Taika's is more outrageous. I, yes, it is more outrageous, and I think, Matt, what you are doing is perpetuating a terrible stereotype that comedy is less important and somehow easier to do and more able to like down. I'm not. That. I'm not saying and that. Drama. I'm not <laughs> saying that because both drama, Rockwell and right? jo- Johansson have comedic moments as well. Yes, exactly. As well. What I'm saying is that as the way that character is written, that character doesn't really have an arc. That character doesn't really have, in my opinion, like a revealing character moment of any kind. To me, I think that there is an arc in terms of whenever we first see him, he's quite goofy. He's just kind of there to pep up Jojo. And then as Jojo starts to grow himself, this character starts to be the pushback and starts to reveal more and more of the ideology that we know, obviously, Hitler was touting at the time. And it kind of crescendos into this big rant where he kind of starts attacking Jojo for the fact that he is, you know, has evolved. Having independent thought. <laughs> yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that for me, what made it work so well and why it's honestly one of my favorite performances of the year is that, you know, there is this level of goofiness and whatever, but there's also this, like, you can see him manipulating Jojo and there's this weird combination of, like, you never you never lose awareness that he's a figment of Jojo's imagination, but he does feel like he starts to take on a life of his own before, you know, that kind of gets clamped back down. And there's that kind of lurking there. And he feels a little bit at times like the monster under the bed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just was so impressed. And I also think like to see this performance from a Jewish man and not just a Jewish man, but a mm. Jewish man of color is so incredible. And like the fact that, you know, I also I think that one thing that impressed me about it was that it's a movie that Taika wrote and directed and he easily could have, you know, written himself the best role and he didn't. And I think that that shows a great uh, generosity in Mm -hmm. a creator to know that your part is not meant to be the focal part of what you are creating. I also admire the fact too, that he's taking on the role that 
potentially in the hands of another actor. It's though as if he is saying, I wrote this, I'm directing it, let me take on this role. This way the scrutiny all falls on me. Yep. Totally. Uh, and I, I admire that in him. I really, really do. I think the important thing about um, this version of Adolf Hitler is that he's not a character. He's very much a device. He's very much a storytelling device to tell us what's going on in Jojo's head. Uh, I think that's what I mean, though, in how it translates over into the performance in that way, though. I'm not – listen, I'm not knocking it. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a bad performance or anything like that. Like, I'm not trying to do that here. I'm, I'm just trying to say – I guess what I'm just trying to say is that, you know, he's not going to be in the supporting actor conversation for the Oscars, what I'm saying. Oh, I don't – I would not put that past him. Oh, come on. No way. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. They like scenery-chewing performances – nowhere better than they do in supporting actor and this is some of the best scenery chewing of the year well there's there's too many oscar winners who are in contention uh that i mean that that category is just stacked uh it's not to say that it's not a, a, worthy of consideration but i i just i just can't imagine that it's going to get in against some of the people who are in that category I do think he's definitely headed to the Golden Globes with this role, though. And that automatically makes him someone you could, should consider. But let's cut across the BS here and let's get to the meat and potatoes, shall we? <laughs> the best performance in this movie. Holy hell, Roman Griffin Davis. Where did they find this freaking kid? What a find. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Little town England. <laughs> Seriously. He is going to be getting so many young performer breakout performer awards this year like like his co-star did last year yeah oh my god it it makes me a little bit sad it's like i want to go find poor little noah jupe from uh honey boy and (laughs) say like if if you had had your movie in any other year honey you could have had these yeah (laughs) you know it's 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 strange to say but he's the new jacob tremblay yeah 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 Yeah. Uh I have totally. not seen a performance that is as that is attuned to the tone that the movie is working in since Jacob Tremblay in Room. One hundred percent agreed. He, this kid, all right, he conveys fear very well. He conveys insecurity, doubt, uh, youthful naivete. As I'm gonna, wow, that was like an <laughs> intense wow. pronunciation there. <laughs> that was. Ooh. You got it out though. I know I did. Uh, he also uh, is he's got a crying, multiple crying scenes uh, <laughs> like this kid was just absolutely phenomenal. And once again, he is he is the lead character and the whole movie follows him. Um, I don't believe there's any scene in the movie uh, that is without him. I think there's one scene. Oh, 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 okay. I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yes. It's yeah. one scene and it's one of the best in the film, honestly. Yes. I know exactly which scene you're talking about now. You're right. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line here is that this kid is a, an incredible find. He's going places. And I would put his performance up there with any of the other great performances I have seen this year. Unfortunately, um, as we all know, we know how this industry works. Um, he won't get the kind of praise that he rightfully deserves, most likely. But... He will in our hearts. <laughs> Listen, he also, I'm going to run him a great campaign for the next Best Picture Awards. So. Yes. Ah, the awards that <laughs> really In Best matter. Youth Performance, Nicole. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, hey, if it's up to me, he gets a nomination for Leading Actor. Like, <laughs> it really is amazing. 
Thomas and Mackenzie proves that she's not a, uh, you know, a fluke with her follow-up performance from Leave No Trace. Uh, She's quite good here. In fact, I thought the accent, I I thought everybody's accents actually in this movie were fairly believable. They all work. Yeah. I mean, really, and Thomas and Mackenzie just like every bit of promise she made in uh, Leave No Trace, it's paid off. You know, tenfold. Agree in this movie. It, yeah, she yeah. is so good. And I love that because it's such an unexpected choice for the character being what it is. But I love that Taika Waititi told her her character prep to watch Mean Girls. Oh gosh, <laughs> I, which like makes so much sense after you see the movie, or makes so much sense after you hear that, whichever comes first. Like. It's one of those things where, like, this movie is doing some very, very sneaky things. And that's one of them. Like, you do not expect this girl to be a teenage mean girl, but that's what she is. And if it's in so perfectly with the world that the film has set up, with the tone of it. And God, good Lord, how I know that this is mostly Taika, probably. But, God, Roman Griffin Davis has the most like the way he gets these tricky tonal shifts in that character is mm-hmm. God. It's so good. It's so good. I love when he reads the uh, notes to her uh, from Nathan, oh. especially yes. that stuff is, that stuff is hysterical. Really it's so funny, but it also just like broke my heart into like a billion pieces. Yeah, no, because there's also like this uh, element of he's a younger kid who, Falls in love with an older girl um, who's, well, uh, they never say how much older, but I, I imagine she's almost 10 years older than him, maybe. Either way, uh, as a 10-year-old. Uh, maybe five, somewhere between five and 10, but I thought yeah. more. Yeah, but either way, as a 10-year-old, it's basically, you know, the, the, the kid in fourth grade who's, you know, looking at the, uh, I don't know, like the eighth grader or something like it's that, like you know? He's in love with his babysitter. Right. There you go. There you go. That's a good way of putting That's it. Perfect, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and 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 it's cute, you know, because he's dealing with these uh, emotions he's never felt before. They have this really great visual uh, trick where uh, the camera like pans down and it, like shows his stomach is full of butterflies and they're like animated. Yeah. That was fin- that was great. So cute. <laughs> There's a lot of nice, like good visual gags in this movie that I really appreciated. Every camera angle. Uh, that Tycho chooses and how he frames every shot of this movie is very meticulously constructed. I've heard it compared to Wes Anderson. Um, I, I, I get what people are saying with that. I, I think it's like Wes Anderson, but with a little bit less. It's looser. Yeah. Like there's like yeah. there, there's no like symmetry shots or yeah. um, I don't know, like the production design. Uh, Wes Anderson is Wes Anderson. Like he's he's a style onto himself. But I, I, I get what people mean when they make that uh, comparison here. Yeah. If Wes Anderson unbuttoned his shirt halfway uh then it might look like something like this sure okay uh but even though like and then listen i'm not uh when it comes to like cinematography for example I- i'm a shadows guy you know i like my shadows in my cinematography i like i like uh playing with the lighting and so on and so forth um this is a movie that does not have like a lot of shadows necessarily but i still found the the colors and the vibrancy of this movie to be extremely pleasing uh to watch throughout um like just the meticulous nature in which this movie is crafted with uh, especially the editing 
Um, there's a there's a degree of what's the word I'm looking for here? There's like a degree of energy that this movie has due to its pacing. Um, for me, this film never, ever slowed down. Not and once. And I think for me that that's part of, you know, there's this this criticism or this idea that it, it doesn't have enough edge or whatever. And to me, the edge is that you expect a film about, you know, World War II and the Holocaust to be quite dark and to, you know, you have ideas of what that means. Yeah, and this is- for this to be colorful and vibrant and energetic, that's the edge. Like to create a you know, decently cheerful movie about a boy in the Hitler youth. Like the fact that the movie exists. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. and it's important for Fox searchlight because, you know, with Disney coming in, um, this is a risky movie for Disney to be associated with. And, um, uh, boy, I, it, it, if they have a problem with this, I have a problem with Disney. I mean, <laughs> Thomas and Mackenzie for next Disney princess. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd watch it. Yeah. Um, so speaking of like some of the uh, like edge scenes that Nicole was uh, mentioning or the scenes you would expect to see um, in a World War Two, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, you know, type of uh, film. I think that the movie, the moments where it does get a bit more serious because these are harsh times. I was very, very happy that the film uh, didn't go like a gratuitous route in terms of things like bloodshed, for example. And this was still something that, yeah, it's a little edgy uh, and maybe a little bit too much, perhaps. But if you are a good parent, I could see if this might be somewhat suitable for kids, maybe. If you have a thoughtful kid. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 I'm not talking yeah. like, you know, young, young. I don't even know if I would do 10, you know, like JoJo is in this necessarily. But yeah, but this is really mature. Yeah. Like it, like it, like preteen, like 12 maybe or something like that. Yeah. You know? I have to say, I'm really excited to go see this with my sister who is 16. And I, I've been thinking, obviously, the whole Marvel controversy has been up and around a lot lately. And um, sh- my sister's a huge Taika Waititi fan. The whole family loves Thor Ragnarok. And I'm really excited because I'm going to be able to get them to go see this by saying, you know, it's Taika Waititi. Come on, guys. We have to go see it. And then I think that it is a really good film. And I, I really could see this film being used in high school history classes at some point um, to kind of talk about nationalism and about brainwashing and propaganda and about, yeah. Yeah. you know, the experience of people on both sides, children on both sides living through yeah. this experience. Well, I think that's the key there um, also. And that's something that we kind of alluded to earlier. I think this movie does make a case, um, if you will, for how important parenting is in shaping these worldviews it's not it's not even so much the environment around you it's how the adult in that household uh speaks to what is happening in the world around that child and Mm -hmm. how they decide to shape it for them and the way scarlett johansson uh plays that here uh, and you know, we talked about the lack of, uh, of the father figure for, uh, Jojo, like an actual, like his actual father. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said there in regards to why Jojo is the way he is mm-hmm. versus, uh, other children at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, she, yeah. Her character obviously takes the time 
to be with him, whether it's bicycling or taking walks and things like that, that um, she's, I think, trying to shape him. And he, at the same time, is torn because, as Elsa tells him at one point, you're a kid who's not a Nazi, but you are wearing a uniform because you want to be a member of the club. You're not an asshole, Jojo. You're just trying so hard to be one. Yeah. That's that's the ultimate message of the movie. There's something really incredibly subversive that I don't even think I recognized the first time I watched it, but as I've thought about it and more talked about it with more people who have seen the movie, I've slowly realized, you know, every male um, authority figure in this movie is on some level a buffoon and (laughs) every, all the women who are authority figures are by and large, not entirely because rebel wilson's character but by and large Mm -hmm. they are smart and well-spoken and caring and not afraid to call people on their bullshit yep Yep. and i really really love that and especially in a film like about childhood during wartime where most um, of those kinds of movies are more like another film that you've seen recently, recently, Matt, the painted bird. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> like that's more what we think of when we think about movies about children in wartime, they're dark and devastating and bleak. And this has moments of that, but mostly looks at it from a true child's eye perspective. Correct. And yeah. it does that so effectively. And I think a lot of that is noticing that, there is this difference between how women are and how men are when they get into positions of power. It is women in this story who will be picking up the pieces after the war is over and yeah. oh, rebuilding yes. Germany. Yes. It just goes to show you, if women ruled the world, we wouldn't have fucking problems. No, that's <laughs> I, I also I think that one of the really interesting things that this film does that like I've been thinking about a lot is that it shows that particularly, you know, from Judge's perspective, that these people that he's meeting are not what they seem on the surface. You know, even the, like, everyone from, obviously, Thomas and McKenzie's character, who is, you know, not what he's been taught that she would be, to characters like Scarlett Johansson's character and Sam Rockwell and Alfie Allen, who seem one thing at first, and then throughout the movie realize that, you know, maybe that there's a reason that they are appearing as they are. Um, and it's not that they believe in what they're doing, but it's that they're hiding something or they're, you know, doing it to get by and to be able to do something subversive. And I guess it just kind of made me think about the fact that, like, you know, there are there are people in any kind of bad situation, a war otherwise, who are obviously resistors and doing that, but then there are the people who resist a bit more quietly. And this film, I think, is really, in many ways, and especially with Scarlett Johansson's character, a tribute to them. Um, you know, and the people who aren't out there on the front lines but are doing, you know, as as she says, the best that they can. Well, I like that you say that too about resisting. There's like an act of defiance, if you will, uh, for example, like in Sam Rockwell's character. Um, To me, he's a character in this movie who just strikes me as someone that has a job and is doing that job. Um, And, you know, we assume that he's evil because, you know, he's a Nazi. Um, But I, I think the film, you know, goes to lengths to show that he's, you know, 
inherently not like an evil man. And for all we know, he's just donning the uniform and trying to get by and do the best that he can, the same way Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson says, you know. Um, and when the war is over, who knows, you know, what, what might happen. And I, I wonder if there is uh, a degree of that in here, uh, because that is kind of like a message of the film, right? You know, you just do the best that you can, essentially. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I thought without getting into spoiler territory, um, I found his character, especially on a second watch, to be uh, definitely maybe the most interesting in that regard. I, I told you. I told you. I know. I think it's important to remember that it wasn't just Jewish people who were being persecuted during the Holocaust. Yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're the largest group. But a lot of members of the LGBT community were also rounded up and put into camps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other yeah. other groups as well. Others, and I think, that, yeah. I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind when watching the film is that, like, there are many ways that one could get in trouble with the Nazis. I mean, how close are Sam Rockwell and Alfie Allen in this movie, huh? I love what this movie did with Sam Rockwell's character so much. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, so much. Me too. That that final scene with him and JoJo is God. really freaking good. So good. Oh, I That's cried. Cool. Yep. Yeah, tears coming out of uh, Sam Rockwell's different colored eyes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so good. And I, you know, another thing too. I, I, it's funny, you know, because there's a joke kind of made about it in the movie by uh, everyone's. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it is everyone's uh, second MVP, first MVP, I don't know, but uh, his best friend, Yorkie. Oh my God. I love Yorkie. When he's like, the Japanese are on our side, and to tell you the truth, they don't look Aryan. (laughs) 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 You know, there is a a joke kind of made about that in a way about, you know, how anyone that looks different from us uh, basically is like the enemy in that regard. So I get what you're you're saying with that, Nicole. Um, But yeah, Yorkie, oh my God, guys. (laughs) This so freaking good. kid. He is so pure and is so lovely. Yeah, this actor, Archie Yates, is just, he's a, I hope he does something else. He's really wonderful. When he saw JoJo and he's like, JoJo, and he like runs over to him and gives him a hug, I'm like, oh my God, it just ripped my heart out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He is so completely guileless, has absolutely nothing but pure, like purity on screen. I never thought that he was like playing a role or playing a character he's just being himself mm-hmm. also and i just look <laughs> this it. is legitimately his first performance amazing on right. film ever so like, so funny so good he'll definitely be popping up in more things and we'll see him on screen and be like yorgi yeah. <laughs> you know i, I he and, he and uh, this guy such great chemistry too as friends like they're so believable together in that way that you know kids who are outcasts bond together yes yeah i want to see the both of them in the good boys sequel <laughs> that would be good i'm i'm down with it yep. let's do it yep. let's make it happen mm-hmm. favorite scene for me in the movie uh funniest scene maybe uh best scene in terms of tension steven merchant oh god oh, god. god he is so uh and he's like this movie is flawlessly cast yeah and he is just I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if it got a SAG Ensemble nomination. I, I really wouldn't I really be surprised at all, honestly, because every single one of them is doing something very specific, and they're all so great at it. Did that scene yeah. though, where it's just like how Hitler like five so times funny. every time for each one of the guys, like yeah. great running gag. Uh, but man, oh man, the tension in that bedroom scene. 
uh, that's where Taika, like as a filmmaker, it's like at the drop of a dime, you know, he could just like switch mm-hmm. gears and hold you in the palm of his hand so, so well. I genuinely felt like so uncomfortable during uh, those moments. I, and, th- and then, you know, going from that to crushingly sad um, near the end of the film and you know, then we get like some big action set piece then at the end. Uh that was like straight out of like Saving Private Ryan, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the one sort of weird thing about the movie for me. I that scene is I didn't know while they were while it was happening, I was watching it and thought, oh, they're they're going here now. And I had no clear no clue how they were going to wrap it up, how they were going to ever end the mm. movie after that. Mm-hmm. And I, so I watched that whole sequence through like, how are they going to pull this off? Uh, gritted teeth. And I, the way they ended that, that scene, basically the way they ended the movie, I think is, <laughs> is so perfect. And when I, look at reviews of this that say that um it doesn't you know it it it's laughing at things that it shouldn't laugh at i'm like but look how it ends and look how perfect it is and how it genuinely asks us to feel you know something for these for the german people who were just trying to get by yeah and even though the, in many cases we're just as awful people, but it really does take a moment. Like, look what war hath wrought. I've, I think that we're just living in an age where it's like nobody wants to even consider that there is such a thing as being morally gray. Um, everyone's really highly sensitive to everything nowadays. And listen, I, I'm not going to stand here and say if someone's offended by this movie that they're wrong because – it sense it is objectively sensitive material, you know. So I get I get it. Like I understand. Just don't be offended if I wasn't offended. Is all I have to say to that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think and that I... while it shows some things that obviously are, you know, I don't want to say they're controversial is the right word necessarily, but you know, sensitive topics. I think that what saves it is, as Dan was saying. With the ending, and and honestly, there's parts all throughout the movie. The message of this movie is very clear, mm-hmm. and it's it's very much you know against Nazism. Um, you just said it right there, Nicole. This film it, this film commits to its message, and it never falters from it. Maybe yeah. there's like some juggling of tone um, from an aesthetic standpoint that one That's may not agree with. I get that, but the message. I, I you just you just said it as clear as cl- clear and plain as day. It starts off uh, with the, with that and it ends with that. And there's never a point in the movie where I'm like, you know, they started to veer off on this path where they were making a commentary on this, and then they got distracted and they didn't really finish that. And like, no, like this movie is well plotted from beginning to end. There's a full character arc for its protagonist. There is a good takeaway message at the end that can hopefully make the world a better place. I'm doing right now the Taika Waititi, uh, Adolf, hands up, like, you know, like, like, what more do you want? You know what I mean? Like, I also think it's it's important, perhaps, that of the characters that we actually spend time with, you know, Jojo, uh, Yorkie, um, Jojo's mother, Elsa, 
and and even really uh, Sim Rockwell's character, none of the people that we are supposed to feel things for are, you know, committed Nazis. Um, they're, I think, at best, people who are just trying to get by or they're acting as if they are Nazis because they are, you know, secretly doing their resistance thing on the side. Um, or they're children who have been brainwashed. And I think that it is a, an important reminder amongst, you know, uh, beside of this anti-hate message, that if that's all that you're raised in, it's hard to fault you for giving into it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you yeah. don't know any better, how can we place that moral blame on a child? You know? Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing that maybe, maybe it needs – people maybe need reminded of that. I think on both sides. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I agree with that. That's uh, that, that's very important. And I would also urge people who might be put off by some of the negative reviews that compare it to something like life is beautiful. This is not schmaltzy. This is not, yes, mm. at, at times, but it's earned. Very mm. earned. Very. And <laughs> I have to say my favorite scene of the film yeah. i can't talk about because it's a huge spoiler does it involve shoes yes it does yeah. that was a very 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 smart visual tactic i was awed by that i think floored. Of, every, I was floored. of every scene i have seen this entire year in films that is the one that will stick with me for years to come in the future it's the best reveal of any uh, any moment like that I've seen this year. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agreed. Also, I feel like, can I just butt in and say, I feel like the one um, performance that we really have touched on, but not like actually discussed is how incredibly good Scarlett Johansson is in this film. God, um, it has been so long her, since we get to see her be funny. Oh my God. That scene of her dancing. Mm-hmm. I died laughing. <laughs> like, and I think that it's also like, this movie really highlights the fact that between like this and Endgame and Marriage Story, that Scarlett Johansson, for all her faults, um, is an incredibly versatile actress. Yeah. We should let her play all the trees that she wants to. Um, <laughs> um, she does play a man uh, in this movie at one point. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kind of. I know, I know, I know. Um, there, there was one moment, though, in that scene where uh, – she does kind of talk to herself, if you will. Like she has like kind of a back and forth dialogue with herself. And I thought that was like somewhat interesting considering that Jojo's always talking to like his imaginary friend. Um, I'm not sure if there was something to be read into with that as a connection there or not, but um, I, it only happens for one scene in the movie. So I kind of just let it go. I thought that that was a really fascinating, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, the, Jojo's father, though he has never seen and is obvious he, he's gone it's it's a little bit unclear where he is um but he he has a heavy presence in the movie despite never appearing on on screen and i think that that scene speaks so much to the single motherhood that so many women experienced during world war ii and and many wars before and many wars now where um but especially i think wars in a, in a time that's gone by where so often they were unaware of where their husband was, um, unaware if he was alive still, and trying to raise 
a kid, multiple kids on their own. And particularly in these societies where, you know, the father was supposed to be the one who made the kids behave. And then suddenly she's got to do it all on top of everything else that she's doing. And it's this really weird, desperate scene where you see that she's really kind of like on the edge of losing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it does provide this really interesting contrast with Jojo, who also has kind of created this figma of his imagination to interact with. Um, But it, I just, I found that the most heartbreaking scene. I actually cried during it Um, just because it, I I think it says a lot, like I said, about, about motherhood during times of war. And then you give her the scene with Elsa, with Thomas and Mackenzie, which is the one non POV scene. Yeah. Yeah. And, and which is my second favorite scene in the movie because good Lord, the two of them just knock it out of the park. Yeah. Both of them in this are really, really good. We already said Thomas and Mackenzie before is, uh, doing something much, much different that she didn't leave no trace proving that, you know, like I said, not a one trick pony was no fluke. Girls got talent, someone to watch for sure. Scarlett Johansson, we know she's phenomenal, but there is an extra layer added to that character in that scene um, that I really appreciated from a scripting standpoint. Um, And it really helped, uh, like Nicole said, to give uh, a lot the emotional weight that it needed uh, to have a very, very profound connection with us, especially as we get closer to the end of the film as well. So overall, like I said, in terms of the plotting of this movie um, from Taika, extremely, extremely well done um, overall, I think. Uh, What I want to do now is I want to get into um, the final thoughts here. So, uh, Tom, I'll start off with you, actually. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about with this that you want to mention for Jojo Rabbit? I think we uh, we touch based on, I think, most things. Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, people who see the trailer w- might get a different impression once they see the film, because, uh, YTD has done some real deep character work and has cast the right people in it. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole. <sighs> I, I mean, I just want to say again that I think that Taika Waititi is a genius. I think that this film is really, um, really important and comes at a really important time maybe um for for us in the united states and i think for people across the world and i just even if the trailer made it look like it wasn't your thing or if you saw some of the the bad reviews that the film got i would just urge everyone to take a chance on this movie um because i think they will be really surprised and even if nothing else like it's got some really nice production design really great costumes um it's it just kind of ticks all the boxes and it's also really original and i think that it's important that we uh celebrate that all right dan i love this movie um i don't think it's perfect uh i think for all that individual scenes are really really well edited and you know matt was talking about the editing before and there's something to be said for like editing in films really are are, are really important to comedy yeah and comedy is very difficult to edit and they do a fantastic job of that here um but i think some of the pacing of the film is a little bit off but other than that i just uh, it's amazing what Taika has done with the tone of this movie and how much he gets it right. Uh, and I am so impressed by it. And I have not laughed at and cried at a movie this hard um, 
I don't even know when, but it's really, it's one of the best of the year as far as I'm concerned. And I'll, I'll just finish by saying that um, I want to reiterate something that I said earlier, which is that I do believe that kids are so impressionable as this movie shows that I do believe that the messaging of this movie is so clear and what it is trying to say, it doesn't have to work subconsciously on us. Uh, and it also doesn't have to be blunt either. I think it finds a nice happy medium between the two to communicate that message across, which is why, personally speaking, if if you're a, if you're a good parent, I would show this film to your kid um at the proper age mind you uh because there is some heavy content in there but i would just do it because at the end of the day your kid could be getting influenced uh you know outside of your control outside of your household um but you know here's something that you know i mean listen kids will watch you know hopefully anything nowadays you know on tv and what have you um you know this is a movie that I think can really, really help to change someone's perspective or at least illustrate very clearly the difference between right and wrong or get them to at least ask questions. Um, so as what Nicole was saying before about being shown in schools and things of that nature, I think if we're trying to like really just help the world, make the world a better place, here is a film that I genuinely believe could do such a thing. I, I really do believe that. And some people will think I'm being maybe a little too schmaltzy or like, you know, maybe I'm overreaching or something like that with that kind of a statement. But I, I really, really believe that with this movie. So uh, take it for what it is in that regard. Uh, with that said, I'm going with a strong 8 out of 10. Dan? Uh, so after seeing this at TIFF, I was somewhere between an 8 and a 9, and since then, it has only grown in my estimation. Um, the more and more I think about it, the more I found there is to like, the more I can't wait to see it again, and I am at a solid 9 for this. All right. Tom? I'm, I'm somewhere between a 7 and an 8, but what's good in this film is so good that I'll, I, it just tips it over into eight for me, but uh, it's it's certainly worth seeing for anybody who is interested in uh, the important films of the year. Nicole? I also really struggled with reading this film. Um, I currently am at a nine, although I honestly think that it's possible that, uh, you know, whenever I rewatch it further towards the end of the year, it could bump up into... 10 for me so a nine for now okay uh what i want to do now i mean this is a film that gets a lot of talk on our main show when it comes to the oscars and there's a lot to talk about just in regards to its prospects i mean i guess seeing as how where we are at this point in the year um i can understand if somebody would say oh this is this year's green book uh, and what what they mean by that when they say that, I think, because there's many different ways to read that. Um, I think what they're saying is they both won the TIFF Audience Award. Uh, they're both trying to comment on a very, very important social issue. And it does so with, uh, according to at least some critical reviews that we've seen so far, somewhat mixed, but more so positive results. I think that's what people mean when they say that. Um and like Green Book, 
I think it plays extremely well. I think it's a genuine crowd pleaser. And I think that people are left uh, with the right intended message because how could you not because of how clear it is, I think, at the end of the day. I am genuinely baffled and confused where some of the negative reviews came from. I really, truly am. Um, And in that regard, I think it stands a good chance to win for adapted screenplay because of how original it is, how clever it is. Um, And I think then it has a path you know, if Spotlight is setting a precedent with just winning screenplay um, and considering, like I said, the Green Book comparison I mentioned before, picture could be on the table. And there is a world where at least one of the main performers in this gets a nod in the acting categories, yeah. whether it's Taika or uh, Scarlett or Thomas and McKenzie. I don't think Roman Griffin Davis is actually going to happen, even though I really, really want it to. And but, let me um, be clear on the opposite end of that spectrum, by the way. Mm. Sam Rockwell getting nominated in supporting actor for this would be more egregious than his nomination last year for Vice. So please, <laughs> yeah. people, don't even consider it. I'm begging you. <laughs> Only because he has almost no screen time in this. Yeah, and he's not bad uh, in yeah, this. He's, he, he's not bad. It's just, like, enough is enough already. I know you guys wanted to reward Sam Rockwell really, really badly <laughs> after years of not giving him any nominations. But pump the brakes a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you, like, if you've listened to this past weekend's main show, you'll know that I'm the one who's out here saying that I think that Jojo Rabbit's got a good path to get a nomination for Best Picture and I oh, think a possibility of a win. I think yeah. that, you know, I'm not saying I think it's like it's not my predicted winner right now, but I think that if anything is going to surprise us and win, it would be Jojo Rabbit. I also have Taika kind of circling um director in terms of the people I think will just miss the nomination. That's possible. Yeah. But I also think that if somebody somehow misses, I don't know, if somebody does something to really like piss off a bunch of Academy members, um, that he's kind of sitting there amongst a couple of other people for people who could slide in. Um, especially if he, you know, does well campaigning for it. Um, I also, I agree. Like, I think that Scarlett Johansson maybe could get in. I think that, uh, Thomas and McKenzie maybe could get in. Maybe Taika gets into actor or, or I mean, supporting actor and that's where it happens. But I also think it's, it's got a really good shot at adapted screenplay. I'm predicting it currently. I'm keep kind of jumping between that and two popes. Um, I do kind of feel like it's going to just come down to whether or not the Academy goes for this. See, I think this film has the best picture heat that two popes it almost has from a crowd pleasing mm-hmm. standpoint yeah. um i just think this film feels a little bit bigger than two popes yeah which i think but helps I also it i think it 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 is gonna have less um i don't want to say controversy because obviously we know right. that controversy does not necessarily deter the academy but i think that two popes is maybe more your typical academy fair that's i see that more along the lines of green book well, yeah, no, definitely. Two, two Popes is not, no. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. As far as like buddy-buddy movies go, absolutely not. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, one thing I didn't mention before, I know I gave the, the spotlight comparison in terms of it winning screenplay picture and nothing else. Um, there is a world where this film uh, wins film editing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love it if it won film editing. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, now you put film editing together with adapted screenplay, all of a sudden, best picture, you know, three wins, three pretty good wins. That looks like a real possibility. Um, the one thing I just keep coming back to, though, is 
a lot of people do not widely have any of the actors from this movie currently predicted in their predictions. Um, and the last film to win Best Picture without an acting nomination is Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. And before that, I mean, uh, Braveheart, I believe, yeah. was the last one. Yeah, I do I, think it, um, it, it helps that if there's a world where Scarlett Johansson wins Best Actress for Marriage Story, um, that to me would feel like a good sign for Jojo Rabbit in terms of the fact that you know, maybe people aren't willing to reward her twice this year, but they would for this movie if Marriage Story weren't sitting there. I, I could see her pulling an Emily Blunt at SAG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting, you know, getting in there while missing the Oscar nomination, because I I had Scarlett in for supporting actress until Bombshell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Yeah, and that really crowds the category. Yeah, I think that it, I honestly I wonder if uh, Thomas and Mackenzie stands a better chance of getting a supporting actress nomination than Scarlett does in this. I'm so hesitant about predicting child performances for I, our acting Oscars. It's so tough, but like it's a borderline lead performance, and she's really funny, um, and since Scarlett has all her heat for another movie. It's possible that this gets tailed along, but I'm not sure. See, I think Scarlett gets dinged here possibly for screen time. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a memorable performance, but it is short. Yeah. 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 I, I still think that this film's best shot at an acting nomination is Taika himself. I just, I, I have such a hard time seeing that happening. That's the yeah. type of performance that they go for in supporting actor and they go for it in supporting actor more so than anywhere else. They like the big scenery chewing comic performances in this category. And that's really the only reason why I think, uh, other than the fact, obviously, that I think he's great. But, but that's really the only reason that I think it's people shouldn't write him off just yet. I, don't I mean, hell, if Sam Rockwell got in for Vice. I yeah I I mean I I I'm not gonna argue against that, <laughs> but then again like we all I think we all were kind of little taken aback that Rockwell made it for Vice to be honest. <laughs> I think yeah. we're I think we're all still a little baffled by that. I think that if there is a push amongst people to you know if they decide that they want to get someone in who's kind of new blood so to speak, not that Tyke is new on the scene, but you know mm. amongst all these older people who have more of a history at the Oscars. I think that he maybe makes sense as, you know, kind of someone who's sitting there if they're looking for more of, you know, a a quote-unquote newcomer. I I really, really do not believe that they would... I just I, I, I'm sorry, I just can't see it happen. I, I and it's nothing to do with him, like I said. I don't yeah. think he's bad or anything like that. I just have such a hard, hard time seeing it happening. Because we, we have we have Pitt, we have Pacino, we have Pre- Pesci, we have Hopkins, we have Jamie uh, Foxx. Jamie Foxx, Willem Dafoe, Tom Hanks. It is a crowded field, I'm not gonna lie. But then look listen look, listing all those characters. I mean, other than, I guess, Hopkins, they're more on the dramatic side. And again, they like these big, flashy comic performances in this category. Yeah, which is why Willem Dafoe is going to get nominated over him. (laughs) 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 Watch. Watch it happen. All right, people. Yeah, we'll see. 
I don't know. It's it, it's a question mark. This one, uh, I think, to a certain degree. You know, we'll see. I mean, all I can say is I'd like to have another Oscar-winning uh, rabbit movie. That would be nice. That would be that would be lovely. <laughs> all right, Tom, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. Dan, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Nicole. You can find me on Twitter at Nicole Ackman 16. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Jojo Rabbit here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, ACAST, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over to us at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hello. This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.